Everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Music Biz Weekly Podcast. I'm one of your two co-hosts, Michael Brandvold, and as always, I'm joined by Jay Gilbert. How are you doing today, Jay? Great, Michael. Good morning. Good morning. I, I thought for a second as I put on my Apple hat, I'm like, uh-oh, is Jay going to be wearing his Apple hat today? You never know with us. <laughs> you, know? you never know. Thank thank God. Thank God. I don't, you know, I don't want people to think that we're calling each other coordinating no. wardrobes here no we do but we don't want people thinking that exactly <laughs> exactly um, we we coordinated our, our our award plaques we wanted to make sure yeah. that there was no duplicates there exactly. um so jay we have a special guest joining us this we week. do today we have matt kelch um funny story i i first discovered matt's music just walking through the third street promenade one day with a friend and, you know, every, I would say, 40, 50 feet, there was a, another musician kind of playing. And, you know, it kind of blended together until I kind of hit the middle of the promenade there. And I, and I heard this sound, and it sounded really cool. And so I kind of stopped. And then we stood and watched him play for maybe 20 minutes. And, you know, like I said, some of the sound was bleeding from either side. And, and you know, Matt was a, a pro, you know, didn't let him, you know, didn't stop him. Well, he just kept plowing through it. And afterwards, I went up and bought the CD and just said hi. And, you know, later on, we, we got together and, you know, solved all the music industry problems over a cappuccino and just kind of <laughs> kept uh, kept talking. And I'm a, I'm a big fan of his music. Um, uh, particularly, uh, there's a song called chemicals, which was one of the first songs I heard him play. And then there's one called perfectly aligned, which, you know, I think it, it's as good as anything on the radio, uh, like a, you know, not to paint him with a broad stroke, but like a Jason Mraz or a singer songwriter kind of thing. But, uh, Matt, welcome to the show. Welcome. Thank you for that nice introduction, Jay. I appreciate it. <laughs> that wasn't planned. I was just remembering, you know, because we've known each other now. It's been, I think that was like five years ago. That was a while That's ago. a couple years ago, yeah. And um, the Promenade is is a great place for artists and bands to play or the pier, you know, to get yeah. out there. And, you know, just to in between other gigs and other opportunities, you can always go out there. It's kind of a nice, you know, setting yeah. to be at. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for those who don't know, the Third Street Promenade is in Santa Monica, not far from the Santa Monica Pier, and there's a lot of shops, and you can't really drive on that particular area, so, you know, the people walk around, they eat, they listen to music, and it's it's a pretty cool vibe. How did you end up kind of playing shows there, and, and I got to applaud you, that takes a lot of nerve to kind of stand there by yourself, open up a guitar case, and, you know people just walk on by and you're trying to play your thing and trying to grab uh, some attention yeah i i ended up there our drummer um that i met when i came out here connection back from the east coast he he was playing out there with his band quite quite often and some of them were playing out there you know every day maybe like five or six days a week for sometimes you know five or six hours a day so they had you know really built it into their full-time uh, pursuit. And so they were kind of teaching me about it and how the, you know, the system works, how you have to rotate blocks and it's, um, it's kind of first come first serve to get, to get your spot and, ah. you know, all the noise, noise, um, decibel levels that you can't exceed above. And, um, you know, just the typical etiquette. They actually have a promenade manager out there who goes around and makes sure people are rotating and checks people's volumes. And it's pretty, ah, it's pretty well organized. Interesting. Yeah. And yeah. can you make 
can you make any money? Can you make um, contacts? Yeah. I mean, did you get any gigs out of it? Or yeah, you know? I mean, some some of us. Um, yeah, I think you know their band is a good example. They they really have it down because they have you know a few different CDs laid out. They have the five dollar CD, the ten dollar CD. Then you can get three for twenty or whatever. And yeah. some of them are the real like a real CD pressed with all their artwork, and then some of them are just bootlegs of their own work. And um, yeah, people still buy CDs. A lot of them. I mean, yeah. there are a couple of days. You know, last summer, maybe the summer before, they said they as a band they'd make six or seven hundred dollars out there. Wow, uh, that's, that's that's interesting. It's pretty good for playing on the street. Well, you know, uh, venue sales for certain types of music are still ridiculously high. Jazz, for example, venue sales are uh, overperforming because what happens is people will go to a bar or a club. And maybe they have a drink or dinner and they'll get exposed to it and go, wow, what is this? And then they end up buying it. They're adults with credit cards. And I would imagine that that kind of happens to you, too, where people didn't go down to the Third Street Promenade thinking, you know, I, I hope Matt Kelsch is playing today. They, they go down there, they're shopping, they're getting something to eat, and then they're exposed to music that maybe they hadn't heard before. And that's that's kind of what happened to me. So I imagine right. that's why some of the you know, the physical sales are still pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. It still, still exists. You know, I think, I think it's important to always have something physical to sell or at least something small to give away if possible. Um, just to help people remember your name. I have a very, you know, kind of a difficult name to remember. So it's a little hard to spell. So it always helps me. And, you know, in terms of like you mentioned meeting other contacts and, other gigs arising from it. Yeah, I think it definitely happens. I mean, um, I ended up meeting uh, a great band called uh, Den Montau, and they're from Germany, and they play on the promenade a lot, and they've been here a few years. There's about five or six of them, and they have a horn section. And, you know, I kind of turned them on to a gig down at Long Beach, and then they, um, let's see, I met, I kind of reconnected with them at um, a networking hike, um, that kind of features different entrepreneurs and artists, and I saw them there, and then they invited me to this uh, weekly event that happens in Brentwood at um, this beautiful home that has a 65-person theater inside of it, and, um, you know, so they kind of connected me to that. So as long as you're, you know, staying positive and you're out there and you're being open about it, and, um, yeah, yeah, I think you'll meet, you'll, you'll meet good people and you'll, You'll find other musicians to work with or collaborate with, or you'll find contacts that can, you know, lead you to another door, and you know the the journey continues. Matt, what is the, um, you know, and I, I don't necessarily need you to go into the the fine details of money money here, but what's the breakdown of tips versus CD sales? What's the ratio? Because I'm sure mm -hmm. there's people that will just tip you some money versus those who actually want to buy the music. Yeah, there's yeah, there's there's definitely a lot of people tipping. Um, for in terms of you know the percentage of one versus the other, I don't know. Maybe it's um, maybe it's like forty percent tip, sixty percent sales. I also, if somebody tips me more than if somebody tips me the value of the CD or close to it, I'll just you know reach over to them and try to grab their attention and just give them the CD just to yeah. just to keep it moving. You know, keep. I'd rather keep the CD and someone else, you know, keep they can keep it in their car. You know, maybe they pass it to somebody else. 
Now, um, you know, it's better to keep the inventory moving. How do you how do you manage? You know, because this is a great discussion of how how an artist survives. How does an artist manage their career and survive in this modern music industry when you're not, you know, Kanye West and you know people are throwing mm-hmm. the money at you? Mm-hmm. Do you have somebody who's coming out there on the promenade who's helping you? You know, like when you're at a venue and you're playing at a at a club. You might have a friend sitting at your merch table for you while you're performing right. and they're helping. Do you have that here or is it pretty much you're doing this all solo on your own? So you're sort of trying to interact and keep playing. How's it work? Mm-hmm. For me, for me, yeah. I mean, I haven't been playing the promenade that recently, but with all the gigs that I do, I, I do. I am usually on my own or I bring you know another accompanying musician. So they're also on stage with me, but. Um, a, a lot of people do have, you know, a promenade assistant or like someone assisting them at shows that's at their merch table. And I, I would say if you have someone that's a good communicator and um, is into your music and they're behind the table and, you know, they have a smile on their face, they're going to sure. definitely sell you more CDs regardless. Yeah. You know? people just like talk- something. Yeah. yeah, people just like talking to someone and, you know, um, once you get talking to someone and they're in a good mood and they like the music and they're bopping around, they, you know, yeah. buy it. They'll buy it if they're feeling good about it. So um, I think it definitely helps. Yeah. If you can afford to or you can coordinate that for me it was hard coordinating someone to always be with us on the promenade i felt like just getting to the promenade i live in echo park so getting there parking bringing all your stuff down the parking garages in an escalator i mean in the elevator and then carting it out to the promenade setting it up and playing and then rotating i felt like that was enough for me to manage but yeah the band that i was talking about they do have someone out there with a merch table and they're they're working the merch table, so I think that definitely helps. You know, Matt, one of the things that you and I discussed one time was I, I, you were doing some interesting things with, uh, like, college performances, um, mm-hmm. which I thought was was pretty smart. Can you can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I I had a a, a light load in the college market. I didn't really get too too into it, but I um I I think I played maybe ten colleges or so so far but you can go basically uh, the first thing i did was i um just reached out to the college radio stations so this is something you can do for free you can just go online and go to whatever college near you within driving distance and then figure out their college station and then contact the people that play the music at the college station try to get them to either play your music or just write to them and see if they have any events going on and at the beginning, I think I, you know, my bass player and I would just go over and play the charity events. Like we did one for, um, uh, for Japan Relief. You know, we were doing different different events like that. And then if you do something like that, they might remember your name or keep you on file and then pull you into um, a paid performance if it's, you know, if they need need a band or an act for something later down the line. So that was one thing I did. And then um, there's also the the APCA and the NACA conferences, and those right. happen um, in about five or six different locations in the U.S. And they're great. I mean, it's a good program. Um, it's definitely and talk a little for, bit about that, Matt. Like, explain what those are. Yeah. So, so each of them, it's an organization, and basically, you know, it's a giant 
conference. So you you apply online and you you're going to apply to either showcase as a roving artist where you would just kind of be out in the foyer and you're performing and you have a sign set up and people can contact you or you would apply and you'd be able to have a booth and you'd have, you know, a laptop and videos streaming and your cards and you'd be answering questions and you'd have a poster and everything kind of like a, like a job, a career fair. Yeah. Um, and then there's another element where there's the bigger showcase and you'd be on a stage in front of, you know, a couple hundred students who are the decision makers and they're like the talent the bookers or yeah, the activity board people, the talent bookers, um, and they're kind of collecting information about all the artists and bands and comedians, and uh, they're bringing it back to their committees, and uh, you know they're going over the budget, trying to decide who to pick. So, so it's a good experience. I think the one th- problem that a lot of us have with it is it's it's expensive to apply, even just to apply. You know, it could be, um, you know, usually you want to be represented by an agency, and so the agency can help waive some of the costs, but then they're going to take a percentage as you get booked. But, you know, I think I was talking to one group and to, to just, um, apply and showcase on the main stage. I think it was like $1,500 or something like that, or a thousand dollars. Um, and your showcase is maybe like a 15 minute showcase. And then you have to think that, um, you know, maybe only one of these conferences is, within driving distance of where you are. So you'd have to fly to these locations and um, get a rental car and get housing sure. and everything. So, yeah, so you know, I, I, uh, I spent many years ago, I spent a lot of time <clears throat> representing a couple artists in the NACA circuit. NACA stands for um, National Association of Campus Activities. So mm-hmm. it, it's it's basically, like you said, all of the activity boards all of the the college bookers are part of this and and one thing you got to keep in mind is those bookers change every year every quarter Mm -hmm. as students come and go there might be one um you know one college professor who sort of oversees the whole thing but they are not responsible for booking it the kids are it's it's mm. real world experience for these kids to book and promote acts, and um, you're right. So there's regional conferences, Pacific Northwest, the Midwest, the Southeast, and you know you can either go to all, and then there's one big national conference every year, right? And yep. you can pick and choose which regions you want to go to, or you go to all of them. But like you said, there's <coughs> travel costs to get there. There's um, applying for the showcase, and it's mm-hmm. it you apply for Lodging. a showcase, and yeah. and trust me, from at least my experience, it's tough to get selected for that it's main tough. stage showcase because you are up against at least hundreds, if not thousands, of acts who want that main stage showcase because mm-hmm. getting that main stage showcase is almost a guarantee of getting booked. And I, I can t- just give you one example. This was back in the probably the early '90s when I was doing this. Meatloaf yeah. was was working the NACA college circuit. This was before his okay. second coming. So this was mm-hmm. Meatloaf was taking anything. He he was playing a showcase performance. It's like I'm sitting there going, "Holy crap, that's Meatloaf on stage!" 
yeah. playing, hoping he can get a bunch of college kids to book him. So you're up against anything of that level. I mean, sure. and, and, and why that's important is colleges can be very lucrative to play if you mm. can get into it because they've got budgets. <laughs> they yeah, have budget. money. They have money to spend for artists. They mm-hmm. will put you in usually a nice room. It's a ballroom, uh, something on the campus. They provide mm-hmm. quite often they'll provide really good PA systems and staging and everything else. So it can be really lucrative. It's not like fighting for $200 at a local bar. You, right. you might you might be able to book a college performance that pays you two grand, which oh yeah, you know is Absolutely. is is great. But the, the whole the whole concept then of what this knack is is not booking. It's an interesting concept. You're not out to book one off shows. You're out right. to book blocks of shows. Right. So what you do is you come into a NACA and say, <laughs> my going rate might be $1,500 a night. But mm-hmm. if I can get 10 nights booked in this three-week period in April in the Pacific Northwest, I'll knock my rate down to $1,000. Right. So now there's an incentive for the colleges to work together. So the colleges are also not in this on their own. So it's like, you know, the colleges are, there's regional groups of colleges. So they all come together and sort of hit there, sit there and go, okay, you know, we all loved Matt. The showcase was great. Um, he's looking to book 10 dates next April in this three-week period. Do you have an opening? Yes. Do you have an opening? Yes. And all these colleges sort of get together and go, okay, we can put together a 10-day tour for Matt. And because they can give you a whole bunch of dates and guarantee you something that's solid, you're willing to give them a break on the price. So that's sort of how this whole concept works. It's not you just going in there. And yes, you could book one-off dates, but it's really hard and challenging to do one-off dates. Colleges are not interested in that. Right. Colleges want you they're trying as to get a string of dates. they're trying to get a yeah. string of dates where you're coming to play all of the colleges in the Pacific Northwest, mm-hmm. and that's how this whole thing works. And it's a little different concept for booking, and that's why you said a lot of times you want to have an agency represent you. There's agents that do nothing but work the college circuit because they know how to play this game. They know how to block book these shows for an artist. Um, so again, even though you might be paying a commission, it could be worth it if all of a sudden they come back and say, oh, I got you 14 dates. Yeah. Boom. Oh, yeah. is, there, is there a season for this? All year. All year. Yeah, the conferences happen, let's see. Yeah, I mean, I think they're happening right now. Actually, they, yeah. it's kind of like the summer through the through February, maybe. Got it. There's a, then there's a break for a couple months. Um, the, and and the, the nice, so- the nice, the nice thing about having an agent represent you is mm-hmm. you don't necessarily have to incur all of a lot of the costs. So the agency right. will go to every one of these regional conventions. 
the agency is going to have a booth representing all of their artists. The agency is going to submit you for the showcases and all this other stuff. So right. if you get selected for a showcase, then you need to make the arrangements to get out there. Or if you, what we did a lot of times is we might say, all right, well, artist A, do you want to come out and hang out in our booth? You're not showcasing, but you can hang out in our booth, meet the students. You know, it's your kind of cost to come out here and do this. But at least then an agency is representing you amongst their entire roster. Keep that in mind. And, right. you know, like anything, the more noise you make, the more an agent would represent you. So if if you've got more stuff happening in your career and you can give your agent T-shirts to give away and you can give them promotional videotapes to play and all this other stuff, they'll push you more than the artists that don't. Um, but I've always felt that the college circuit is a very underappreciated circuit for a lot of artists. They just don't realize it. And then if you, you know, and then think about it from a, a marketing standpoint, if all of a sudden you've got 14 dates at colleges booked, now you've got 14 college radio stations you can reach out to, 14 college newspapers you can reach out to, probably 14 college TV stations you can reach out to where every one mm -hmm. of them will probably do something to promote you because you're right, coming exactly. to their college yeah. to perform. Which brings up a good point, Michael. You know, um, Matt and I were talking one time about college radio. And, and Matt, you had some success at college radio, right? Yeah, I did a college radio campaign. Tell um, us a little so bit about that. Yeah, so there's, um, there's a few different companies that I know of that you can you can go through to do a campaign unless you want to do one yourself and just, you know, reach out to a hundred stations and try to try to do it that way. Uh, I went with a company called Tinderbox and there's another one called, I think planetary planetary group. Is that the name of it? Um, Sounds familiar. Yeah. I think it's either planet waves or no planetary group. And, um, basically, you know, you, you have your music distributed, um, and, it, you'll have a higher chance of them opening, you know, the college station will open it because they recognize the name where it's coming from. Sometimes when they just come from, you know, a random name, they might not open it or it might end up in the trash. Um, so they'll open it and then the, the campaign uh, supervisor will kind of follow up with the college radio station and call them and email them and just check to see if they opened it, uh, what they thought about it, um, you know, try to track it. Did it, did it get on the air? Did you guys play it at all? Um, what slot did it end up at? Was it, you know, was it spinning at number 10 on your station yeah. for how many, how, many, how many weeks? Yeah, stuff, stuff like that. And um, I think there's still value there. I think when students are on campus, there's definitely, um, you know, I know when I was at Providence College, there, the radio station was pretty pretty interesting. You know, people were still listening to it. There were some shows on there and talk shows, and it was, it was fun. Um and people tuned in, you know, every once in a while they, or when they were walking by and, um, you know, when they're out about on campus, they had it playing in different, in different rooms and stuff like that. So, um, I think there is definitely a market there and there's some reach. I think it's a little expensive to do some of these campaigns. Um, yeah, but you know, I, I, but, but if you are going to do a college circuit, um, you know, there were people that came up to me at NACA and they said they, they knew who I was because of the 
the radio station because they saw my CD on a table and they, they said, oh, we're working at the ra radio station and we, we saw your CD come in like you know six months ago. So, I mean, it definitely gets out there. And if the company is a legit company that you're working with, they'll actually follow up on it and check on it. So that's good. Um, yeah. So I, th I think it helps, you know. I, yeah. I I'm, a big, I'm a big fan of college radio. I mean, I think there's a lot of, yeah. there's a, I shouldn't say a lot, but there's some people that will just write it off as it serves no real end of day purpose. But I think college radio is, is, is a valuable stepping stone. It's uh, artist sure. development. It's I mean, artist it's development. Exposure you know, music to people that wouldn't normally hear it. It's yeah, it's it's, it's, ridic yeah. it's ridiculous to think that you could go from nobody to being played on the local top forty commercial radio station. That's just not going right. to happen. And and yeah. the stepping stone is college radio. And I've been on both sides where I worked in college radio and I was a music director and then I was a radio promotion person promoting to college radio and and let me tell you college radio loves the attention <laughs> you know if, yeah. if somebody calls and says um i'm sending you this or i got did you get this and maybe you as the artist end up m making a bunch of phone calls on behalf of the promoter trust me some of these college radio stations nobody pays attention to them nobody yeah. sends them so they're begging for music to be sent to them. So a lot of times, if you send them music, it's going to get played for no other reason than nobody else sent them music, so you're getting played because you sent it to them. Right. You yeah. call them up and say, thank you for playing that. Holy crap, this artist, I may not know who it is, but this artist actually called me and thanked me for this. I'm going to play you even more. And, yeah. you know, that can push to get them to report you to whatever reporting services they report to um it all builds a story for you that maybe by album two or three when you're trying to crack commercial you can show that there was some history in college radio that actually supported you and that actually liked you and again college radio can lead to other things college you know you get on the phone with that music director and you're like as you brought up at the very beginning are there any local events happening on campus at you know, can you connect me to the activity bookers? Um, or do you, ha you know, a lot of college radio stations have relations with the local bars. Mm -hmm. uh, can you recommend a local bar that it would be great for me to call to see if I can get a show? You know, yeah. they're, they're, I, I just, I think you can get, you, you might surprise yourself what you can get out of college radio if you work. Yeah. 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 I think it's a realistic, you know, for someone who, you know, has a small following and, you know, they're maybe they've worked on their first or second release and um, they've been playing a lot. They've been playing a lot of um, shows around their, their town and, you know, different bars, restaurants and local original music venues. I think it's a realistic stepping stone for people to start even applying to some of the smaller colleges or just like you said, colleges that are would be that excited to hear from someone. You know, I think I think it's a matter of just taking the time to either find someone on your team to help apply or to just carve out some time to, to get it yeah. done, you know. Well, let me ask you a little bit about streaming. I, I, I've seen your music on, you know, Apple Music. I see it on Spotify. I even saw it on Pandora. Um, are you finding that to be effective for you? I mean, are you clearly there's not the kind of revenue in streaming that there is, you know, with physical sales. But 
do you find it helps with you know your audience being able to to get uh, you know to be exposed to it? Yeah, I, I I think you know if the way it is right now, you just can't look at it as a revenue source. I, I think that's going to have hopefully change. Um, right now, it seems like you know since it's still been five or ten years since it's really ramped up. You know, streaming is really coming to the mainstream. I think it, I think it's great because it makes your music so accessible to really anyone. Um, if, if you just meet someone out on the street and they don't know who you are and they don't want to spend ten dollars to come see your show, they don't want to spend any money on you because you have they haven't even seen you play. They're just having a conversation with you. They can literally walk away from you and type your name into Apple Music or, or YouTube or Spotify or any of these sure. uh, free free services and just give you a quick checkout. You know, it's like, is this person what they said they were? Or like, what category are they in? You know, they can kind of just do a quick screening of you before they make the next decision. Okay, am I going to save this person to my, my playlist? Like, do I really care about this music? Would I go see them live? Would I, you know? So I think it's kind of like a a good entrance point for people that have no idea who you are or people that are discovering you, if you can use it in that way, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And if you can, I, for me, it took a, a little while to just get over the fact that, you know, we weren't going to make any money doing that, you know, but I think if you can, I mean, I went to a show last night and the four bands that were listed on the Facebook invite, I went to write to Apple music and I typed in all of them and I listened to their, their top song. So I just said, do I like this one? Yeah. Do I like this one? This one's on at 8 o'clock. This one's yeah. on at midnight, you know? How did you so, get your music up? Did you put it up yourself? Did you use like an aggregator like TuneCore or somebody? I used um, CD Baby. So I've used them for my... I have three releases on out there right now, and I'm working on yep. my fourth one. And I use CD Baby. I think it's maybe... I think it was like $40 or something like that. Um, and... You know, you go through them and then they'll put their, the physical record at the CD Baby location. And then you basically go through a checkbox of 20, 20, 30 different digital outlets. And you just check off the ones that you would like them to make it available on. And then you have to have the, um, I think it's ISRC codes. They're yeah, that's like right. these. Per song, <clears throat> yep. Yep, for each song. So that way everything is track so if somebody shazams your song or somebody you it's know, all the same yeah it's all on the same wavelength so that's good too i mean to keep you know it's nice to have those metrics so you can kind of check in online see if see what people are listening to more often yeah and do you manage all your socials yourself yeah my my social media is you know pretty small it's organic it's all myself um you know i have my bass player is a photographer and I have different people that help with like graphic design. Um, and so like all the artwork. Yeah, it looks good with other people. And then, you know, they'll send it to me and I'll just post it. But so I don't do a lot of the graphics or the photography or anything like that, but I, um, I'll, I'll do all the posting and everything. Um, but yeah, it seems like a lot of people are paying for, um, Instagram, you know, boosting and following or paying for YouTube views or Facebook likes. And that's a whole, yeah, I'm not, I'm not into that at all. I mean, I have my thoughts on that. I think it's kind of a, a bummer, but I understand people are doing it to try to create hype and, you know, make them seem like they're 
bigger than they are maybe. demand yeah yeah, yeah. um and if it if it is working for them to create demand and get the get the ball rolling, that's great. But a lot of that, it seems like you create this profile that has you know ten thousand followers on your Instagram, and it seems like to me it looks like a lot of the followers are just robots. You know, it's just a fake account or it's just a, a bot. Um, yeah, it's it's weird. I yeah, know, I, I think Mike and I have talked about this a little bit on the show, and you know. I, w- I won't speak for Michael, but, you know, I, I don't agree with it. I don't think it helps, you know, to kind of boost those numbers. I think there's something uh, genuine about having real numbers and then engaging with those numbers, you know, um, returning messages and talking to sure. people and, you know, just engaging with your audience. You know, that's something artists couldn't do not that many years ago. Now you've got that opportunity to do that. And, you know, I, I would rather you know, see real numbers, because I think you can, you can tell pretty quickly, um, you know, if they're real or not. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm not yeah. opposed to um, spending money on legitimate advertising, legitimate. Right, like a, like a Facebook a larger, ad. Like, like, exactly. a, like a legitimate Facebook ad campaign fine, yeah. or, you know, a boosted targeted post, but um, totally object to the overnight acquiring 5,000 new followers on yeah. any service because, yeah, you, you are right. They are 100% fake. They are not real. Yeah. It, it, will, it will boost your number the next morning, but anybody who's legitimately looking to work with you can see through that instantly. Um, sure. You know, because if you've got, you know, you've got 10,000 people following you on Instagram, but every post you make has zero comments and zero likes and zero mm-hmm. engagement, there's something wrong there. I can see that in a second. If you've got yeah. 10,000 people, there should be some legitimate engagement going on if those were yeah, your fans. quality over quantity, you know. Yeah, one one thing that we did, I think, um, it was two years ago, my, my bass player put up something on Facebook that I think it was my birthday or something. He just put something on there that said, happy birthday, Matt. And then he put, you know, $50 towards uh, Facebook. Boosting it. He, yeah. he made it, he made it into an advertisement that just said, you know, check out my music or something. It's my birthday or something like that. And yeah, I was fine with that. I thought it was kind of funny, but yeah. I noticed that the people that were clicking on it and engaging with it, all of a sudden there was, you know, 50 of them all at once. And I was like, wow, like, is this how this works? Like, this is how this advertising works. And then I looked into each of these people and I looked into their profiles and it, it looked like a fake profile to me. I mean, it looked like, I mean, there weren't, there wasn't a lot of activity. There was like a lot of posts of just random stuff. It just looked like very manufactured. And it was shocking to me that this was legitimately through Facebook though, that we had, that my bass player had paid for this advertisement. And then all these, it seemed like fake, you know, accounts or maybe they you know, were paid you know, off. And we, we, with, with, without without yeah. knowing a lot of the details, it all comes down to what he targeted targeted, targeted the ad towards. Yeah. Um, because yeah. I I've had clients who have they're musicians and they'll they'll go out there and use Facebook to acquire new likes, but they target mm-hmm. something so broad as anybody who likes music. Right. Which in a general sense, if you're not 
experienced in using Facebook, you might think that's exactly what I want. I want people who like music to come look at my Facebook page. Well, that's right. so broad. That's so broad. Yeah. So broad <laughs> that, you know, or... I like people who are interested in guitars. Why? Well, because we've got a guitarist in our band, so therefore you should like our band if you like guitars. That is such a broad target that you're going to mm -hmm. get crap. You're just yeah. going to get... You'll get engagement, but you'll, that, get, you'll yeah. get engagement of crap where you want to sit down and go, all right, I'm a, I'm a hard rock band. I want people who like Van Halen and mm -hmm. or Eddie Van Halen. Sure. You know, now you're going to get something that's more legitimate, more real, more honest, um, and your money's better spent. So it all, sure. it does, it all comes down to that targeting and, and really understanding it to get your money's worth. And, and my experience has been so many people don't, don't get the, the targeting aspect of Facebook. Yeah. Right? And that, and to I, me, that's why Facebook is so awesome. It's because I can target such a fine laser a to to you know a specific niche to a specific geolocation. Again, you know, it's like um, if you're if you're a band that plays you know the Colorado area and you're never going to go to Europe, why do mm. a target of everybody worldwide? Right. Who, who cares about the fans in Spain yeah. if you're never going to go over there? Mm. So target, you know, Van Halen fans that live in Colorado. Right. Boom. Now Very you've specific. got now you've got something, and and Facebook can do that so well. Yeah, you can target things you might not even think about. We were targeting uh, a gospel inspirational singer recently, and we could target select churches in certain markets you mm. know there you can target you know schools that you're playing you can target fans of certain genres age groups like michael mentioned geo targeting is is super helpful but that's what's great about it is instead of that shotgun you're it's more of a surgical kind of thing and you know i don't doubt that there's some you know shady accounts out there that just yeah. kind of cuz i we've all seen it right you know where yeah. people ask to be your friend and then you click right, and then to check it no out friends and then, yeah. or they yeah they've, the, they've the been on facebook for like a week you know and yeah. they're from guam that's what I was <laughs> exactly <laughs> right yeah, i was noticing right. that that's why i was wondering i, I think this might have been i remember them talking about some sort of um, ref, you know, refresh that Facebook did to kind of clear out a lot of those accounts. This might have been a couple of years ago. There, that, that. That's something that Facebook, Remember Twitter, that everybody is always doing that. So if you are acquiring these fake accounts, the bulk of buy, buy 10,000 Facebook likes for $200, Facebook mm -hmm. is always deleting Always those. It's an ongoing process. That. So, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. you, you, you could you could have 10,000 new likes tomorrow, and a week from tomorrow, Facebook might have deleted them, and you just lost 10,000 of them. And right. at the end of the day, you're not getting your money back. Exactly. You, you spent the money, that hey, person's sure. got the money, and you got no likes out of it. And, and, and right. without getting into great detail, you're actually hurting your real engagement by adding all those fake fans in there because right. those so fake keep track of the, the, the fake, the fake, the fake, the fake fans will never ever obviously ever engage with you. Yeah. But in Facebook's 
algorithms, they see 10,000 fans. They don't know real or not real. It's just 10,000 likes, and right. you have zero engagement. That tells Facebook nobody likes what you're posting. When the reality right. is you might have 1,000 real fans of those 10,000, but they're mm -hmm. so small now compared to the overall number of fake fans that their voice is never heard basically by Facebook. Diluted. It's diluted, mm -hmm. and now the real fans will never see what you post because these fake fans obviously are never going to do anything. So that's why it's like even if you've only got 1,000 and they're real, those 1,000 real fans will comment. Those 1,000 real fans are more likely to see what you're doing. Don't, don't throw the fake garbage on top of it. Yeah. Right. Hey, right. hey, Matt. I'm clearly, you know, I'm I'm a big fan of your your stuff. I mean, you're in heavy rotation in my car, and I've I've turned your, your music on to as many people that will listen. But how do how do people uh, find you? How how do people uh, uh, on the web? Where where can they go to to kind of check out Matt Kalsh? Sure. Well, I can spell my last name in my website. So it's www. M A T T K-O-E-L-S-C-H music.com. That's the main landing page. And then from there, you can go to, you know, Apple Music, Spotify, YouTube, uh, Pandora, Instagram, Facebook, all Everywhere. the main spots. Yep. And then I sell, I have three CDs out. I sell them at shows too. And then, um, yeah, that's, that's how yeah. you find out about me. Yeah, great stuff. And you said you're working on a new record. I am. I'm working on my fourth record right now. I'm really awesome. excited about it. Do you yeah, anything you can tell us about it? Is it is it with a full band? Is it solo? Is it Yeah, it's um I have uh, a lot of different accompanying musicians that I've been working with, all all people that I've met while being out here in Los Angeles. Um I'm really excited about all the people I play with. Um, you know, they've some of them have played on the late show, late night shows. Some of them have uh, toured with big artists in the arenas. You know, nice. um, the engineer I'm working with, um, he's he's really enthusiastic person. Um, dances around the studio while we're listening back to things. Uh, he's very engaging and uh, encouraging, and a very different personality um, than what I've previously worked with and uh he's he's more in the electronic house hip-hop genre and then i'm you know much more in the songwriter um folk genre so i'm trying to mesh those together to try to mix up the nice. sound a little bit so yeah nice. yeah when, when do you think that might be released i'm thinking um probably in the first quarter of 2017 excellent great so yeah yeah i've got five songs done and i think Maybe one or two more, you know. Yeah. My uh, my budget isn't huge, so. <laughs> well, brother, <laughs> well, I can't wait to hear it. Is going towards it, so. <laughs> yeah, can't wait to hear it. Yeah, hey, thanks. Hey, hey, Matt, thanks so much for joining us today. We really appreciate the conversation, and you know, best of luck to you, man. Thank you Thank so you much. Take for care, me. Matt. Appreciate it. Yeah. Have a great one. Right, you brother. too. Bye. Bye, guys. I always love just talking to. I don't know. I, I would call it the real musician. Yeah. You know, it, 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 it's not that the superstars aren't working real. Man. It's the working musician. It's not that superstars aren't real musicians, but 
let's be honest. It's different. It's it's, it's they're different. Their stuff in. They're not. Yeah. They're they're yeah. They're they're not worried. They're not sitting here going. I'm working on a fourth album and I don't have any budget for it. It's just like, you know, they've got the luxury of being able to spend whatever they want. So it's good to hear right. from somebody who, you know, this is what the majority yeah, some, of artists yeah. are. Struggling, yeah, they don't have struggling musician for them. Right, they yeah. they have to, if something needs to get done, they have to do it themselves. They don't say, "Hey, Michael, can you take care of this?" It's like you got to take care of it. You got to manage your socials. You got to put your stuff up online. You got to book, you book those college gigs. Yeah, you got to yeah. worry. You got to worry about. Gee, can we afford to go to that NACA convention on the East Coast? Yeah, that's a lot of money for a working musician. Yeah, that's, you could buy a guitar for that. By the way, check out those two songs that I mentioned. One's called Chemicals by Matt Kelsch, and the other one, my favorite one, is called Perfectly Aligned. And there's really a great video that he did, a real pro-looking video on YouTube. But, uh, man, the stuff's just infectious. You know, I just, I I really dig this guy, and I wish him nothing but success. Cool, cool. Um, Real quick, I don't know, I'm sure you noticed it. So in in music news, Apple Music might be dropping their monthly subscription. Well, look in uh, your morning coffee email tomorrow. There are uh, highly regarded sources that say that that just is not true. So we'll see. We'll see. Uh, you know, but it's always one, when it comes to Apple, where there's smoke, there's fire. But it's, it wasn't, you know, Apple doesn't make those kinds of announcements. No, this I know is they somebody don't. somebody who met somebody, who knows somebody kind of thing. And I always take that stuff with a grain of salt. I, I always yeah, take it it's for... it's possible because of the Amazon thing, right? I take it with a grain of salt, but why did somebody just make something up out of the blue? Let's, let's just make up a story and start spreading it. What do you gain from it? You gain really yeah. nothing from it. And, it could and have all, been talked about. And, it doesn't well, mean that, it's that, that, No, that's the whole thing. That probably just means... Yes, there could be some discussions going on, which I find very interesting. That yeah. there could be discussions. Yeah, if you think that, that there's, there's, uh, you know, like Amazon's using it as a loss leader, you know, especially when you get to the uh, Echo. But I wonder, you know, there's not a lot of room for margin as it is. You cut this stuff even further. Although I'd love to pay less, I just wonder how that affects the payouts. Well, I I, I, continued for I sure. almost wonder if something like this doesn't change the payouts to the artists and the labels. It just cuts into the profit that somebody like Apple makes, and Apple's in a position where they could afford to do that. Just like Amazon, it's exactly. buying market. It's just buying market share. They just they just want to squeeze everybody else out. Who, who, you know, Apple's got all these other channels that they can make revenue from. Apple Music is just one one pie piece of the pie right somebody like yeah, spotify spotify, it's, spotify is that's their whole revenue right there that's it so if they were to cut it that's a bigger deal absolutely absolutely so to be it, continued for to, sure to, to be to continue to see how this all plays out and and we do need to do a show at some point talking about amazon music i've been playing with mine um Me too. A, lot, a lot more and and i've actually been hearing from a lot of other people who are just like this is really good. Yeah. It's really good service. So, yeah. all right, guys, that's it. Music right. Biz Weekly. We're out of here until next week. Take care.